Yeah, shove it in my pocket. There we go. Right. Well, it's, it's lovely to see you all here this morning. A very warm welcome to you. Um, okay. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, many of your faces are very familiar to me um, from our, our time when we were here before, uh, many, many years ago. Um, I spent a lot of wonderful years here. Um, but for the benefit of those of you that don't know me, as uh, I've not preached here for many, many years, um, um, my name is Phil. Um, this is my wife, Sonia. And we actually have my mum here as well, which is really nice. Um, we uh, currently worship over in Fordingbridge. Um, uh, and it's actually rather nice for me um, that I can actually claim to now be a member of this church again, here, this congregation. Uh, well, it's nice for me. I don't know whether it is for you, but um, yeah, I find it um, a, a great blessing. Okay, so um, the text that I've been given for this morning um, is uh, Romans 12 and uh, verse 1, just the one verse. Um, I'm going to read that and, uh, and pray and, um, and then we'll get straight into it. So Romans 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, true and proper worship. Heavenly Father, I pray you would uh, unstop our ears, you would open our eyes, uh, you would open your word to us, Lord, and do us good. Yes. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, Paul is uh, the Apostle Paul is urging us uh, to act in response to God's actions, uh, specifically his mercy. And uh, what I want to do is um, uh, break up uh, this one verse into small pieces um, and look at, uh, in, in some cases, just an individual word. And I want to start that off with the word mercy. I want to look at God's mercy toward us. And I suppose, um, uh, I apologise, I've got to keep taking my glasses off, I can't see a thing without them. Um, <clears throat> the, the one that springs to mind, obviously, is God's mercy in Christ, uh, in his blood, in the cross and the resurrection. And we've been singing songs about what Christ has done for us on the cross and what it has uh, purchased for us on the cross. Uh, if we look in, <clears throat> I'm just going to flip over to um, Ephesians uh, and uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 12. It says this, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the, communion, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want us to uh, just uh, concentrate on that couple of words there in the middle. Having no hope and without God in the world. Sounds like hell to me. And when we're looking at God's mercy and why we should act on it, we need to understand a little bit of the magnitude of what we have been saved from. There's a very small kind of example, if you like. Um, If disease or disaster strikes, we face financial ruin uh, or relationship turmoil and breakdown or loss of loved ones, whatever it may be. Just imagine for a moment the mental, emotional, physical crushing, the turmoil, that, that feeling that you just want to go to sleep and wake up and find it all fine again. Imagine that far, far worse and without end, with no light at the end of the tunnel. And I was going to say, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I want to tell you that's just the shadow that the tip of the iceberg would cast. It's forever and ever and ever and ever in outer darkness. That's what we're talking about. That's what God's mercy in the blood of Jesus has saved us from and set us free from. And we have a choice. Maybe it's um, one way you can uh, uh, think about it is that uh, when we're born, we are given or set in to our own personal space shuttle. And we are locked in the the cockpit and that is pre-programmed to fire us at light speed away from God into outer darkness. And the blood of Jesus has the key to unlock that cockpit. And it's, it's, it's our choice when Jesus reaches his hand out and says, come on, come down, abide with me. It's our choice uh, to make that decision. All those things we've been singing about, about what Jesus has done for us, that's God's mercy towards us. But it doesn't end there. You know, you're now friends with God. Your sins have been forgiven. He could, he could just say, well, off you go, little heathens. You know, be good. Your sins are now forgiven. Jesus has paid your debt. Off you toddle, be good, don't do it again, whatever. You know, I had um, uh, uh, an uncle, well, it was my mum's uncle, actually, who's Jamaican. Um, We used to call him uncle, Uncle Bobby, Bobby Burns. 
Um, and during the Second World War, he was uh, serving here, he was stationed here. And um, he, uh, where he was stationed, he, he befriended a, a young uh, naval officer. And they became very close friends and he used to, uh, when they were on leave, um, he used to travel uh, down to London um, and um, Uncle Bobby would get a lift with this gentleman in his car and um, he would get dropped off and he would go and visit my grandparents um, uh, who were living in London because my, my grandfather is also Jamaican, he, he came over in the 30s. Um, and then this gentleman would continue on his journey um, to Buckingham Palace to visit uh, Princess Elizabeth because this young naval officer was named Philip um, who later became the Duke of Edinburgh. Now they obviously had quite a close friendship because um, he would discuss things with Uncle Bobby about things when and how he was going to propose to the princess and different things like that which you wouldn't just tell to anybody so he was quite a close friend and they maintained that friendship throughout their life, life. And when actually when Uncle Bobby died, the Duke of Edinburgh sent, um, I think, Mum's cousin a, uh, a, a telegram of condolence uh, to the family. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, <coughs> Bobby was, was really great friends with the Queen's husband, the Queen of England's husband, the father of the Prince of Wales, the father of the future king. But he was never invited into the royal family. He was never adopted. That would be absurd. But that's what God does for us. He joins us to his chosen people. We are his special possession. If we look, um, <clears throat> I always uh, want to get a, th a therefore in a verse. I always like to kind of look at the previous verses if I haven't already read them. And um, we read in Romans 11, 13 uh, to 20. <clears throat> Some of it's quite um, pictorial. It's difficult to get your head around. But, um, so I'll just read it now. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. For, you, for if you are, remember, it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. 
and it, uh, it makes it a little bit clearer in uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Huh. It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. It's outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. What is God thinking? You know, I look around this room and think, what is God thinking? <laughs> Sorry about that. I've just had to, I was getting a little bit um, overcooked there. Um, yes, what was God thinking? I don't have an answer. I don't have the words. Thankfully, our Apostle Paul has some very helpful words at the end of chapter 11. Wonderful, wonderful words. And I'll just read them to you. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Is that enough mercy for you? Amen. It is for me. Let's look at Paul's appeal here. <clears throat> he says, I appeal to you. Some versions might say, I urge you. I think the old... Some of the old versions would say, I beseech you, as an old word. I think the Amplified even says, I beg of you. So it's important. It's, it's urgent. It's not, well, you know, if you feel like it, when you get time, how about this? You know, you could try this. <clears throat> but it is also not a condemnatory demand. God is not into guilt and guilt tripping. He's not saying, Paul is not saying to us, look what it cost. Look what it cost God. I mean, he's a Jew. He could, he could have been saying, look what God did to my people. For you, heathens, you Gentiles. But he doesn't, he's not doing that. He doesn't do that. It's a heartfelt appeal. I beg of you. You can almost sense him leaning forward and saying, Beloved, I beg you. Look at what God was willing to pay for you. Look at what God, how, how much he values you. And look at what he was willing to do to add you into his family. It's a heart 
felt appeal. He's saying to us, in view of God's track record, he's worth sticking with. He's worthy of following. He's worthy of obeying and he's worthy of serving. You know, you can never lose if you stick with God. I think it was Elliot, I I didn't look it up, but that said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. So what is a living sacrifice? It's a strange concept, really. I'm not a great scholar of the Greek, but we happen to have a, an English Greek study Bible on our shelf, and I thought, oh, I'll look this up. And the, word, the Greek word for living is zo, or Z-A-O, or Z-O, zo. And in simplest form, it just means to be warm. To be alive. Now the Romans, I mean, he's, he's, the book is to the Romans, but it basically means the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Although they were not used to the, the sacrifices in Jerusalem, they would have known what sacrifice meant. Uh, there were many pagan um, gods, if you want to call them that, small g, and they very often demanded sacrifice. And they would have known that it meant death. It meant bloodshed. It was also a very limited and external thing. It's something that you did, an occasional thing, you, you would go to the temple in Jerusalem once a year uh, for the big, uh, sort of, uh, these big sacrifices. You might go and sacrifice a ram or something, but it wasn't something that you would do all the time. So it was a very uh, limited uh, kind of sacrificing. And a very, this would be a very uh, contra-concept. Living is ongoing. It's all day, every day. It's all encompassing and far-reaching, totally different to the concept that they would have been used to about sacrifice. The word zo is, is also used, and I think this is the key um, I would be uh, focusing on. It's also used to um, describe natural living. It says nat- natural living is, is another kind of, the Greek is, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> so what Paul is asking us to do is sacrifice natural living. In other words, he wants us to put to death what comes naturally. And I'm not talking about what we would call our natural talents in the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual here, our desire to rule, our desire to be God and to feed our own passions. (coughs) 
to live actually differently, to live supernaturally, not in the natural, to live by the gifts of the Spirit. He's asking us to separate ourselves or to be dead to the root of Adam. Because the root of Adam can only produce sin. He's asking us to take our nourishment from the root of Christ that is holy and feeds the spirit. He's asking us to look at life differently, different to everyone else who doesn't believe. You see, when we are rooted in Christ, when we live by the Spirit, when we enact those gifts of the Spirit, love, kindness, self-control, patience, whatever it may be, our lives become an expression of worship, our proper worship. What the, what the verse says, our proper worship. Now we can, we can sing, we can even dance. Not that I do that kind of thing, but um, my wife does. Um, <clears throat> I've brought up brethren, you don't do that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> I have, on occasion. Uh, moments of weakness. Um, <clears throat> You can sing, you can dance, but it's not necessarily worship. Because worship starts in the heart. <coughs> and then it can come, indeed, in song, in dance, in prayer, in works of service, even silence. Worship starts when your heart starts to sing. So we've, we've had the why and the what. So what about the how? You know, how, how do we do this? Because it, it sounds a little bit scary, doesn't it? being a living sacrifice. What does that mean for us? Oh yes. <laughs> but I believe God will say to you this morning, be at peace. It's not rocket science actually. You don't need to become a nun or a monk or some other crazy. Simply live but live contrary to the natural. 
live in the supernatural. Live love. Live kindness, self-control. Live by the Spirit. Whether it be work, play. I was, um, I was in a, a teaching session. Um, I did a training course many, several years ago. Um, and uh, Terry Berger was teaching um, in that session and he was talking about uh, full-time ministry and because a lot of the guys that were on this course were looking to become elders and lead elders and things like that and um, he was trying to uh, get us to change the perspective about what we call so-called secular work and full-time Christian work and he said something interesting it was to me he said the only secular thing is sin you can live to the glory of God in any job that doesn't cause you to sin. Sorry, it's gone. I'm not doing real well on my bits of paper, am I? You don't need to hold a certain office. You don't need to be a preacher, teacher or an elder. I consider myself <clears throat> as a nobody who works for the biggest somebody in the universe. So how do we go forward? How do we do this? Well, I would say forget the advantages and the benefits of this life, or what we think are the benefits and the advantages of this life, and look at what's on offer. Supernatural living, extraordinary living, living contrary to the natural. Life is significant. I'm not saying it's not significant, but it's a blink. And we've been away from this place uh, just, yeah, it will be coming up, 10 years. And I was just talking to Mike at the beginning and it just amazes me that the, the, the children that we saw then, thinking of Naomi, she was this little teenager, this little shy, skinny little teenager. <laughs> and she's now a mother with three children. It's just mind-blowing. Where did that go? You know, it's just... I mean, it's incredible. I mean, this guy used to hate my wife coming up to him because she would get hold of his cheeks and go, Ooh, squishy little cheeks. <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention that one. It's just amazing, isn't it, how, how time goes by. I mean, we brought our own grandchildren to the church when it was over in the hub. I don't think it was... Yeah, it was only in the hub. Maya is turning 14 this, this coming month. This month, yeah, in a couple of weeks' time. It's just, what? 
she was this tiny little pink sausage who used to fall asleep on my chest when I leapt back in the chair. We just feed her and she just... It's just amazing, isn't it? How time flies. This life is a blink. And you know something, you can't take anything of this life with you in the flesh. Nothing of the flesh remains. Let's live supernaturally. Let's live in the spirit. Love, kindness, generosity to the good, the bad and the ugly. That is living in the supernatural. That's contrary to the natural. Living to please God. Setting your heart on obedience to his word and the spirit. That's contrary to the natural. It's not what we want to do. Finally, I want to say this. This is not a New Year's resolution. It's a deep commitment of the heart. The Amplified Bible puts it. It's a decisive dedication. It's a deep commitment of the heart that doesn't quit at the first fall. You might make a New Year's resolution within a week you think, oh, I'm not getting this right, and you give up. That's not what this is about. This is like a revolutionary thing. This is a deep thing. It's a dedication thing. Because you know you will fail. We will all fail. I fail. All the time. But when you do, get up and go again. Because God is more interested in your heart than in perfect results. We will only see that when we get into glory. Amen.